Hello, and welcome to Conversations to Understand Our World, interviews with Dr. Anthony Rizzi. I'm John Paul Ochoa, an Associate Humanities member with the Institute for Advanced Physics. Dr. Rizzi is the director for the Institute for Advanced Physics, which is bringing home all of our thinking to the basic things we see right in front of our face. We start with what we know through the senses, and that's the physical world. So therefore, physics, the study of the physical world, is the starting point for all of our knowledge. With this simple starting point, Dr. Rizzi will bring us back to our senses and then lead us to profound insights into all aspects of our world and beyond. We are used to thinking of physics as an equational kind of thing, and that's what it's been reduced to. But there is a simple way of understanding physics. And Dr. Rizzi, a world-renowned physicist, has this fundamental understanding giving him deep insights. He will relate to you those startling insights and take you into the depths of our world to places that nobody else can. This week, our topic is COVID-19. What's true, what's not, and what is the pandemic doing to us and our culture? Permanent damage? I think Fletcher's ready to begin the interview. Take it away, Fletcher. Dr. Rizzi, the first thing I wanted to bring up um, is, you know, I talk to different kinds of people and some people act like the whole virus is just some big hoax and um, it's all this made up thing. And then other people are acting like we need to be locked down for the next two or three years or something. So what what do we make about all of this? Is this serious? Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's really true. I mean, it, it depends on who you listen to and um, what you like and what you and what people you hang around, what 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 you end up thinking. And it's not a good situation. It's unobjective situation where you're not grounding yourself in something that makes any sense. So the so the question you know that you asked is a good question. Is this real? Is it real? And how bad is it? So, you know, it's definitely is real. There's no question about that. And how bad is it? It's pretty bad. I mean. This is five times more deadly than the flu, and it's something that our bodies, no, bo- no, no man has ever encountered this virus before, so nobody has any natural immunity to it, and it, um, it can just go uh, unchecked through the population. It also seems to have, we don't know a lot about it, and that's part of the problem, but it also seems to have the ability to you know, come back after three months or something and um, so your immunity might not, the immunity you get from getting it, I should say, might not be very long. Um, but the main thing is that hopefully it's much longer than that. We'll find out. But, but in, in the time being, we, we have to go based on what we, what we think we know. And, you know, it, it's just very contagious. And probably the worst thing about the virus that makes it so uh, subtle is unlike a, like the a plague of the Black Plague, you get it, you probably die. And that stops the virus with that death. In this case, you get the, you get the thing and you might, you might walk around and be fine. And in fact, it's very strange because younger people, it doesn't hardly affect at all. So they can walk around and carry the virus, have some virus, some virus, anybody want some virus? <laughs> you get some virus and you didn't get any yet. And nobody will notice because they have asymptomatic. It's up to 50% of people are completely asymptomatic and they're mostly young, healthy people that can walk around and distribute the virus in the, you know, in the, most, uh, in the most easy way. So you know, it's dangerous in lots of different subtle ways. Um, 
and another way is that we've managed to do a lot, some containment so it doesn't look as bad. And there's always a tendency to not, you know, what you can't see isn't there. So they think, okay, and can't get me. And, right. but then it's, you know, it's exacerbated by the fact that there are people that are going to extremes and trying to shut down, totally shut down people's lives, which is not anything you could ever do. And so that makes it, okay, well, if that's what you have to do, I don't care. So all these things, you know, make it more serious <laughs> rather than less because it's complicated. It's not simple. And you have to, that's the big message, you know, that we're trying to bring to people is we really have to take ownership of our own lives and make our own decisions and see the meaning that's out there and grab the truth. Even though everyone is running around with their head cut off, you've got to find the path. And so there's a middle path here in which you actually see the seriousness of the virus and do things about it. The another one that we're worried about is you don't want this to go out of control because then you overwhelm the healthcare system. That's what what happened earlier in the year is it started overwhelming healthcare systems. And so you had to put a stop to that. Um, and there should be ways of doing this, though, intelligently so we don't have to close things down. And, and that's definitely a must at this point because we can end up, you know, destroying more things than we help. But that doesn't mean you don't have to do the things that we're going to talk about. Wow, thank you. Um, you know, I, this guy, he, he said he heard from his biotechnology professor that, um, that there's really serious long-term side effects from COVID, including, you know, sensory loss and, and damage, damage like that. Can you speak about that? Yeah, he said he heard from his, um, uh, his biotechnology professor that it actually can have permanent loss of taste and smell. So, you know, that 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 is something that's floating around out there. It's a possibility, and it, and it one of the weird one of the things that's really dangerous about this disease is that it it makes people that get the serious cases forget what happened. So there's neurological brain issues associated with this. It's very strange. You know, people with the flu don't forget that they had the flu, and they don't get this brain fog that lasts for months sometimes, and sometimes never stops. So because it's neurological like this, it's very strange and it's worrisome what it's doing to people long term. Also, long term lung damage has been reported in some cases where people, you know, think they recover, but then they have permanent damage to their lungs and sometimes permanent damage to their heart. Um, so there's very strange things. And the fact that you lose your sense of taste and smell and it's affecting your neurological system in this way <coughs> is very scary. It makes you, you know, want to be more careful. So, you know, that's the thing is to be careful and to treat it intelligently, not to go overboard, not to just say, okay, well, I'll, I'll give up my life. I should bring up another instance to just, you know, anecdotally, but it shows you the weirdness of this thing. You don't hear this about the flu that uh, a nurse friend of mine that actually lives down the street from us, she told me that she knew three pregnant women who, um, got COVID and died. They're young women, pregnant, and they died, and their babies died too with them. So this is a weird thing. You want to be careful with this. Okay, so that that kind of brings up the question about, you know, how do we actually, how do we do what you're saying? And I mean, I know um, one of the things that's being pretty widely promoted is the use of masks, um, but I don't know exactly what to make of that, you know, 
some people seem, again, preposed to it. Is the mask really a way to help with this? And if so, how, how should we use it? So it's a, it's a general question about, you know, are masks um, helpful? And they are helpful, but I want to I want to hold that question a little bit and go backwards to how do what's the what's the intelligent thing to do? I said we have to be intelligent. What does that mean? We have to we have to kind of use this as a time to remember that we're not very careful with our hygiene. Generally, we're not very careful with our hygiene. We'll sneeze and then we'll rub our hands or something, maybe wipe it a little bit, and then we'll go shake hands with our friend. You know, it's just not not very thoughtful. Or we'll sneeze and we'll touch something, and then some, we'll, and then somebody allow somebody to come along and touch that place that we touched. And so, just generally, we're not very careful with our hygiene. If we could just be more careful with our hygiene, um, that would already be benefit. Um, and and getting the flu, you know, it's not fun to get the flu either. So you know, and if we could just learn from this, that we you know be a little bit more careful. And to own the responsibility for ourselves um, and for our, you know, helping our friends and our and our people who are around to to, to protect themselves and 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 protect us. Um, we'll keep. We'll it will help push away the impulse to let you know authority come in and and draconic draconic uh, draconically close all life. <laughs> you know, if we um, and so we don't. You know, we don't get. I want to have a reason for that. Um, but even excuses could could uh, cause that to fall down upon us. So, um, and so that's the first line of defense. Another another thing in that same vein is you know coughing into the air, sneezing into the air, without you know blocking your mouth. You know is is spreads droplets, and we know one thing we think we know about the virus is that it spreads by droplets from your mouth. And it can go into your eyes or it can go in, into your nose and mouth. And the worst place is probably your nose. So you don't want to breathe these things in. So you don't want, so to protect other people, you want to not be coughing in the air. And if you are in a place where there's lots of coughing and stuff, you should leave. In fact, you know, that's not a good place to hang out. But if you come into a place where it's like a room in a hotel where you've never been. You don't know that people haven't, the maid hasn't been coughing in there, or sneezed or something 10 minutes ago. And these particles can stay in the air for hours. So you want to spray some kind of antibacterial Lysol or something antiviral into the air to kill all these things. And just remember a closed room, the air just sits there and it circulates. It may circulate to be trapped or it may just circulate in a corner, but you can't depend on the virus just disappearing. Um, and then, of course, surfaces, but surfaces seem to be less uh, of a problem, but still it's, you know, be careful. Um, and, you know, so, so and, and social distancing, so that if those droplets float around, they can be moved away if you're, and so like if you're outside talking to someone, you, you know, it's, you know, you don't have to have a mask on then to be distanced from that person and talk. And if, especially if the sun's out, you know, the ultraviolet rays kill viruses. Takes takes some little bit of time, but if you have the distance, is enough time, and the wind and the air is not all stifled like it is indoors. So these are things that really the public health officials have not been clearly telling people. You know, you, there's a list of things, and I'll go through them at the end if you want to kind of to nail them in a list. Um, 
to, to say, you know, this is what we need to be washed out for. But it's a thoughtful thing to think about. It spreads mostly by droplets. Where do those droplets come from? Where do they go? How do they stop them from getting into me? How do I stop them from getting into the people around me? That's really the question that you have to keep asking yourself. And they can land on the surfaces. They land on surfaces, and then you have to get them off your hands. So washing your hands after you've been places where, like when you go to the grocery store, they come back and immediately wash your hands or parel your hands as soon as you think, you have a chance to. But, you know, don't prowl them every 10 seconds after you finish handling a bunch of things and you think you're going to be have a lull zone where you might touch your face or something or you might touch something else. Uncontaminated, prowl yourself. And you have to do it, you know, like with washing your hands that, you know, it's like 20 seconds or 30 seconds of washing your hands. It's much better to use soap and water if you can, but Perel or any kind of, you know, alcohol-based um, germ killer will, will work. So to answer your mask question, you know, of course, it's pointless. To, masks, the big thing to remember about masks, put a big sign up somewhere until you get it, is that they don't help you. They help other people. They mostly don't help you. They help other people. As you can imagine, you have this mask on your face, and, you know, you put the mask on your face, and you have to hook it on your face like this, and then when you cough, stuff gets blocked. Uh-huh. And... The, the mask, if, uh, like on a cotton mask, um, you know, like let's use a napkin instead, like a cotton mask, it has certain size holes, like five micron holes. Well, the virus is only a, a tenth of a micron, so it can easily go through that five micron hole. But the nub is that the virus doesn't float around by itself. It decays pretty quickly, apparently, with, with by itself, but in droplets, it stays around. And the droplets can be much, much bigger. So when you wear that mask and you make a sneeze or you even when you talk, speech is a big thing. When I'm talking, all kinds of droplets are coming out of my mouth. <clears throat> the mask blocks those big droplets. Without the mask, the big droplets come out and they and this is the physics end of it. You know, the, the, the biologists that talk about this is and certainly the medical people don't know much physics. It's sad to say it's part it's our fault as physicists that we haven't gotten that part of the education well, but it's the whole point that we don't have this grounded thinking in the first physics that's in the kids' introduction to physics, the in peoples, that we don't, that they don't know this. But the point is, is that the drops get blocked by the five micron holes, the larger drops. They get dropped, what would happen to them otherwise is they'd start floating in the air and they would start falling because they're pretty heavy. And then they will, but the amazing thing is, is they will evaporate pretty quickly. So before they reach the ground, they will evaporate to a smaller point in which the droplet doesn't go away, but it's sort of immune from, for, from evaporation for a while. And they can float around then for hours. And that thing can get through the mask. Um, and so the masks don't help you very much. Because if somebody else doesn't have a mask on and those particles evaporate and they float around, they go right through your mask. Now, of course, having something to block rather than nothing is somewhat helpful. <laughs> the problem is if you wear the mask very long, you accumulate these things and they're sitting in the mask and they come out eventually. So masks are really, wearing a mask is good. You got to make sure you're, it's tight against your face and against your nose. Don't wear it like this. That's pointless. And don't wear it like, you know, like just over your nose. That's even worse. Um, but, you know, you certainly don't want to do this. Hey, how's it going? Because <laughs> that's exactly when you expel all the stuff. 
Um, and you, if you watch the hearings uh, the, the, on the confirmation, Supreme Court confirmation, they did it exactly backwards. The people that weren't talking had their masks on. The people that were talking didn't. <laughs> Um, yeah, you know, so it's, you know, you know, there's reasons that, you know, it's a complex thing, as I say, but I think that most people, and, and I hear doctors on the air talking about, well, you should wear a mask, it'll protect you. They just haven't got a clear understanding to articulate to the public. It's just not true. But they're, they're varying things. Like when you're talking to someone, sometimes they can't understand you. So you might have to rig it. So you have to talk and have the distance and have other ways of of you know helping to ensure you never can be 100 percent, but to helping ensure that all that those droplets are not going to go out and infect somebody so generally speaking a mask for a short period of time protects you a little bit but it, it always protects other people you don't want to keep the mask on too long for another reason it'll start bre being a breeding ground for bacteria the other thing is how you handle the mask when you wear the mask you put the mask on and then you take it off and you hold it like this. You don't grab it like this and say, hey, how you doing, Fletch? How you doing? You want some germs? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you don't stick it on your, take it off and put it in your pocket, which is, you know, a lot of people do. A lot, a lot of people, you know, will, will just grab their mask like that and hold it like that. You've got to hold your mask, you know, like this, and then take it to a trash can and drop it in a trash can before you get in your car. They buy the loop at the end of the things. You, you wanted to say something? Fletcher? Oh, yes. Yeah. I'm having some audio problems, so I think we'll have to just switch over to Ethan to finish the interview. Okay, so I'll, we'll, we'll move that over. We'll get it set up for Ethan to be on screen here. Let's start from where we were. So basically, uh, we, you have to be very careful with masks, and, and Fletcher was getting ready to talk, I think, about um, inside of cars. And, and do you understand, would you have any thoughts about what it would be like to wear a mask inside of a car, Is it... Ethan? Um, well, inside of a car, you're kind of isolated, you know, especially if you're driving alone. So I'm not sure why you would do that. I don't know if it would help you. And in fact, I'm curious if wearing a mask for an extended period of time could hurt you, especially if you're inside of a vehicle or something like that. Yes, in fact, it can hurt you because of the fact that you're what you did is you brought this mask that hopefully it, it did a little bit of blocking, but if any case, it's going to soak things up and you brought this mask into your car that might have COVID in it. And now it's going to be sitting there um, outgassing and possibly, you know, it's not a high probability, but it's just not very smart to bring that thing that's soaked in in there. And then, of course, the risk is you take it off and set it down on your, on your dash or something and then somebody else picks it up and then you've got all the stuff that was on it you, you've got a collector of covid that you then passed around <laughs> so you want it while you're thinking about it you want to trash it before you go into the car you don't want to wear it you want to take out a new mask when you get out of your car again if you're going for a long drive to, to a new place so it really can hurt you and um i think uh you were bringing up earlier that you know, uh, does it hurt you to breathe in the mask? Um, and, and it does. It's not good for people that have trouble breathing. And it's a, it's a calculus you have to do with people that have trouble breathing, whether you want them to wear a mask, because it does, it does fill up with carbon. It's not dangerous or anything, but it's not good for people like young children and so forth. It, um, so you have to monitor. You don't want to, um, or if you're running or stop, something, there's no reason to have your mask on while you're running. You should be running away other people <laughs> there's just no reason to do that and if you're doing exercises and things you really should do it in a way that you can 
you can, you know, be away from other people so you don't have to, you know, be exhaling on people, maybe playing baseball or something where you're you're on different bases, you know, and you're exhaling and your stuff is very distant from other people. It's outside again, the sun's out, you know, the ultraviolet rays kill viruses. So, you know, once you get a few of these principles, you just apply them to each case. So let me, since we're talking about the fact that these masks block the droplets, let me show you a study that was done by some physicists on how these masks work. So here's a picture of um, the uh, masks. This is the fleece mask. This is like the gaiters, these very thin gaiter things that people pull up. They're awful because what they actually do is they actually make the bigger droplets into these droplets that can stay in the air for a long period of time. And that's this picture. I don't know how well you can see it, but you can see there's a lot of tiny droplets. This is what it looks like with no mass, these big, huge droplets. So in some ways, it makes these little ones that can float around for you. So this it's, it could be that these masks are actually worse than no mask for okay. people. I, I had a question regarding these photos, Dr. Sure. So what exactly are we looking at here? Is this the air, the mask, and what do the white lines versus the blueness represent? I'm, I'm a little lost at what I'm looking at. Okay, good question. So, so basically, this is what happens when you wear a mask and you have the mask on, you cough, and then you, then you light up the air, and, it, and the white stuff is the particles. So these are particles floating around. And um, those particles, the size of the particles is how big those white dots are. So these white dots are really small particles. And so you see that what, the, what those neck fleece things did is they, they left you with little tiny particles that can float around. And the no mask, you see all the particles that you released when you cough. The surgical mask, you see basically nothing. And you see a cotton mask is actually fairly good. Very few particles left. Again, it helps other people, not yourself. We got to get that in our head. It helps other people, not ourselves. Okay, right. So that's the air in front of a person who'd recently coughed or something. Yes. Okay, that's really interesting. And while we're on the subject of masks, um, you know, can we reuse masks, especially if they've had time to dry out, like overnight or something? Because you were talking about how the virus kind of just breaks apart in a dry environment. So does that make a difference as far as getting a new mask? Um, well, let's see. So I don't think I talked about the dry environment. I was just saying that the that um, that it, when you're when those droplets get into the air, the big ones will evaporate before they fall to the ground. The bigger ones, the intermediate ones, and then they will float around. Um, but but the particles that get in here, the, the virus does break down over time. So the particles that get into a mask like this, um, you just want to throw this away. This is just a paper mask. You just want to throw it away. There's no point in keeping it. Um, but like a cloth mask, like a lot of women have made these cloth masks of various different colors and so forth. Those cloth masks, you, you should just throw in the washer, you know, and with some bleach or something and just wash them when you're done with them. And then you can reuse them as many times as you want. Um, just make sure they're well washed. So, I, but I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't, um, you know, take a mask and then just set it around somewhere and use it and three hours later or something. But, you know, if you're if you're coming out of, you know, like you go into a store where there's 
where you're trying to keep from infecting people, you put the mask on. Then when you come out, you might be walking around for a while because you might want to go back. And you might realize you need to go back into the store. You might want to go into another store. You don't have to throw the mask away. Just hold on to it like this. And then, you know, put it back on when you're ready to put it back on. And then when you're done, throw it away. But be very conscious. Uh, you know, just think of this as sick. Like I'll do with my family, say, is that sick? Is that desk over there sick? You know, it's just a way of talking about it to know that that's the way you get sickness. And and so just be conscious of that. And, you know, again, we want to be, the, one of the awful things about this virus, one, one thing to think about is, if I'm not careful, I might kill the old man across the street. You know, and, and so, you know, it's five times more deadly than the flu, and it has all kinds of other secondary consequences. Now, it is true that most of the people that are going to get really sick and die are the ones that already have existing conditions. But the thing is, is that how more healthy people are the, what they call the vectors, the way, the travel way that that thing gets to those people. So they have, they know, have grandkids or they have people that come to their house and do things. And if, if we aren't careful, we have it, we pass it along to them and one of them gives it and he dies. And we're in some way... Our negligence is in some way responsible for that person's death or serious illness. And the same thing's true for the flu, by the way. You know, some oh, well, that happens with the flu. Well, that, is that a reason not to do act intelligently? <laughs> you know, and if you just act intelligently, it becomes second nature um, to, 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 to do these things. And, you know, um, what we'd like to do is get to a point where we can get, you know, a, a, hopefully a vaccine pretty soon. But um, and then we can start moving out of this. But an, another way to do it is to just get to the point where we have enough cases where we can be, you know, say, where did you get it from? Where did you get it from? And have all those people um, that you that they contacted, trace them and then find out when you get small enough number, numbers and you just stop it in this country. You could just stop it in this country. Then you'd have to be really careful about your borders. Um, and but you know that's a more systemic thing that most people can't deal with so the thing is to just do what you can for your own life for your own family and the, like i say the masks do help you a little bit but just don't treat them okay i have my mask on now i can do anything i want right that's where the problem comes in <laughs> and i'm at, i got my super shield on you can cough sneeze do anything you want you know it's not the way it works <laughs> so again get the principles and act on them and it all goes back to you know the, getting that first physics principles that we talk about in the kids' introduction to physics and beyond, and then and then using them to to understand the physical world around you, and then you get practice thinking in a principled way, and you start seeing these things, and they're very obvious once you hear them. But again, it's the fault of the way that the thing has been presented that there hasn't been a clear presentation of how to use these things, you know, and and what they're for, what they're not for. Why did they say not to use masks initially? Well, initially, they didn't say it, but they should have. Uh, that uh, There was a reason. I don't know what their reason is, but there was a reason, and that is that initially, you know, people were buying all the surgical masks, and the healthcare people who, who had the higher risk, they were not available to them. But they could have came out and said, here's, here's a cloth mask you can make, and they could have done these studies, but biologists and medical people don't think like that. They think in terms of large sample studies of whole populations instead of just, well, the, if the vehicle is droplets, how do we stop the droplets? How does that work? And so it took a while before physicists started doing these kind of experiments like I just showed. 
and you know you can physically talk about how the thing gets from here to there you you were talking about a vaccine there for a second um and you know hopefully one will be out soon but in light of this you know since they've been talking about people have been working on a vaccine for a little bit should be we excuse me should we be worried about getting vaccinated especially if the vaccine might be rushed are there any like harmful things that could come from that yeah that's a really good question um the uh the there's two the, the sort of the, it's a complicated answer the point is is that the that the people that are um doing the vaccine uh you know whether it's a company or whether it's the fda trying to do the approval you have to look at what they're doing and what type of people are doing it. And so it really depends on the, the company and the, and the character of the people and what they've done. It's a way to tell, you know, whether whether they're going to be uh, whether you want to take this vaccine is to is to look at what they've done and look at what they're saying rather than just say, OK, it's out, so I'll use it. And, um, you know, it can go either way. Right. Somebody can withhold the vaccine because they want to look good. They don't want to look like they're doing something political. And that can be an excuse to not do the due diligence as well. So just because the virus comes out, I mean, the vaccine comes out later doesn't mean they've done the due diligence against the virus that they should have done. And maybe that they're just, this is a way of making everybody have be lulled into a sense of calm. And of course, the reverse is they could short circuit all the things so they can get it out early. So you really have to look case by case at the company, the people and, and the way that they're they're involved and so forth. Um, but so so that's kind of the way that the, the, the situation is, is that you have to do it case by case and find out, you know, what 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 the, um, and I think Pfizer's the first one, and I haven't gotten a chance to look into it well enough to give my own opinion on, on them, but they're the first one. I think Moderna is the next one. Pfizer could be coming, you know, fairly soon. Um, and so I think, you know, we're probably looking at beginning of next year to mid next year before we have a, a, a vaccine that's, you know, that's actually having an effect on the population. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be earlier. But again, you have to judge by the situation. You can't just make a global statement. And again, like I say, it's applying principles to the case, the case at hand. We were going to talk about, can you tell us about the books that we need here? Okay, sure. So there's two books about most important here. The first one being A Kid's Introduction to Physics. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's written for children, you know, um, young middle schoolers to understand, but everybody needs it. It's quick to pick up. So I think the first thing that I would get is a physical copy of a kid's introduction to physics. That's written by Dr. Anthony Rizzi, um, and everyone should be reading that. Us, you know, our brothers, sisters, children. And then the second thing to look in here is a little bit of a more, you know, longer read. It's called The Science Before Science, also written by Dr. Anthony Rizzi. Subtitles: A Guide to Thinking in the 21st Century. And something that we really want to focus on here is that there's an audiobook for that that was just released. I think those two things, um, so a physical copy of the kids' book and the audiobook of the Science Before Science, would be really important to pick up here. So I think there was one thing, you were kind of talking about throwing away disposable masks, but the cloth masks, should we be washing those daily? Or I know some people that just have it for a month and they're like, oh. all right, it's first of the month, I'll wash my mask again. What's oh, the, what's the good great. thing to do there? Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. You want to wash them as soon as you've, um, you know, the, the use that you use them for. And like I say, probably, you know, short use, like an hour or something. It's probably all you should use them. You should have another, a change of a mask that you can, if you're using cotton ones. And I would bring a plastic baggie or something. 
you know, because that's another thing, like with a cotton mask, you're not going to throw it away. So you'd have a plastic baggie, you put it in before you get in the car. You mm -hmm. put that in the plastic baggie, then you can take it out again if you do it carefully and so forth. Um, but you've got to remember that now you, you have to, you know, your, your face has to be clean and so forth after you wear this, after the mask has been used a couple of, But you don't want to wear it too long. I mean, you wouldn't say more than an hour before you need to get a new mask. Okay. And just keep changing it out. Um, and then wash them at the end of the day is what I would do. Not, there's no point in leaving them around to just, you know, fill up the air with their, whatever you've gotten or so you get late. So you accidentally throw them someplace that you don't want to throw them. Um, so, you know, this, again, this basic principles you want to think of this thing does trap some COVID. So you don't want to, you want to be careful with it. And, you know, it's probably unlikely at some level, but, you know, that you don't know. And then the more you're careless with these things, the more they become a danger rather than a help. Let me show where the United States is right now. I have a plot here. So this is a ranking of all the countries in the world. There's like 219 countries here. And these numbers are from Worldometer. And basically, I've taken a standard to show how many cases per test, which gives us an idea of how much spreading we have in the country, how much it's spreading from person to person throughout the country and in, a given, in a given country. So basically, to give an index of that, I've taken the total cases per million population and weighted it with the tests per million population. Because if you have a greater density of tests, that means you have more accurate you know actually better how many cases per million you have. So that's what this number over here, cases per tests are. And the smaller that number is, the better is your country. So the better countries are at the top. And so we're starting here at the top with China, but we don't trust, the generally can't trust the numbers that China's given us. It's a closed country. China doesn't do good data, so I put that in purple. Similarly with Russia down here. But you can see that the first, and I have the first world countries in green. And you can see the first world countries, there's many first world countries ahead of us. I may have missed greenizing some of the first world countries, but you'll get the idea. There's a lot of first world countries ahead of the United States right now. So we can do a lot better at containing the spread. I'll just scroll down until we get to the U.S. here. You see U.S. here, and this chart is 45. And this ranking here puts it, you know, we're not doing so great hot here. We have to do a lot better. You see, we have Switzerland, Sweden, Italy, you know, just name it, they're above us. So we have to, we have quite a bit of spreading by this gauge, which is, again, cases per test, basically an index based on the total cases per million population weighted by how many tests. And we actually do pretty good as far as testing. It's just, it looks like we have a fair amount of spread. So that's where we are now, and so we can, we can do a lot better by, you know, by not locking down and, and, closing down businesses and so forth randomly, but by doing whatever we do with these principles in mind to eliminate the spread and to try and, you know, um, remember that it's not just us we're worried about. We're worried about those old people down the road or that person that has multiple conditions, especially. And that we, and we can have it. You know, I've known multiple people that have had it and they didn't even know they had it. And again, the, the, some of the weirdest symptoms are these losing your sense of taste and smell, which is very strange. And um, should be alarming, you know, to lose, to lose the cognitive things like that is very odd. So let's talk about what is the pandemic and what is it doing to us? And, and so that one of the things it's doing is it's making us kind of realize that there's 
that you know I had a medical doctor ask a question that, that he wanted me to bring up during this thing. Um, he he said he asked me, "Is this uh, what do I think this is doing to the people's confidence in medicine? Do, do, do I think that people are losing confidence in the science of medicine and the people that practice medicine?" And I think the answer is yes, that that's happening and it's happening. It's revealing that, you know, there there needs to be, it's revealing two things. It's revealing that there needs to be a better um, uh, expression to the public of what the medical people do know in a clear exposition. But it also revealing the, the, the nature of the way medicine works, which is, which is you know, um, it's, it's system oriented. It's what we call empirological. It looks at it at a at a, a system of things rather than the, than directly the causal structure so it leaves a very loose kind of uh questioning and a loose kind of answering um that kind of fluctuates around depending on you know sort of um, nebulous statistical things that are never nailed down to causes so that's reflecting of that problem and it's hard for that that medical field in a short period of time to collate what it knows and express it it's very fuzzy because it's not going causal in a direct way as a community. So it reveals the need to bring the first physics principles back into those things and, and teach a kind of rigor, grounded rigor, so that you can ask causal questions and bring them to bear within the systemic nature of the system. So you can quickly respond to these kind of things in a, in a clear way instead of the kind of what looks like, you know, and often is sometimes directly contradictory ways. But you know, you can't let that make you think that medicine doesn't work. It obviously does. It just needs to be, um, you know, perfected in this way. It needs to be more clearly thought the way all of us need to re reorient ourselves. And one of the outputs of this is that we've lost, we're beginning to lose more and more control over our lives and granting more and more to external authorities on how we do what we do and so forth. And that's the scary thing. Are we going to be moving towards a sort of new normal like like we did after um, the September 11th bombings, where now everybody accepts a naked body scan before they get in the plane. And most people don't even think of that fact that they're, when they go on a plane, they're getting a naked body scan of themselves stored in a computer. And that's the, that's the price of what? I mean, the, there's very little benefit to this um, that couldn't be had in more, much more effectively in other ways. But we don't even think about it. We just allow ourselves to be naked body scanned and. You know, because it's done by a computer, we don't think about it. And that kind of exterior control has now become part of America where nobody nobody says, well, isn't that awful? I have to go get naked body scan before I go see my Aunt Tilly. It's nuts. And so that kind of thing can happen much worse after something like this where we get normalized to having our privacy, having our lives and our own ability to choose freedoms taken away from us in the name of a nebulous thing. And the best way to push back against that, of course, is to say it, but more importantly, to to show to ourselves that we can live a principled lives and we don't need somebody else to tell us what to do. As long as we behave in a way that creates havoc, then it gives an excuse and even a reason for somebody to come in and say, wait, let's stop this havoc. So that's a real danger the pandemic is gradually creating, is that we re that and people are starting to talk like we have a new normal that we always have to wear masks. Um, and that's just not... Um, healthy to be accepting that, but you, you're sort of forced into it if you don't live in a way that you can be self-responsible.
So we have to kind of call on ourselves to go, and that's what we say, to come back to the material, read the material, learn how to think in this kind of principled, grounded way, and then apply the things we talked about. And I'll just summarize, like I said, I would. You know, the COVID is serious, and, you know, we want to do at least what we do for the flu, even though we don't do it for the flu, and that is be, keep good hygiene, wash 20, 30 seconds after we've done something that's been contaminate, seriously contaminated. Wear masks to protect other people. The masks protect other people. Not so much yourself, though it does protect you a little bit. And remember, if you're outside social distancing, inside social distancing helps because it takes a while. The particles are the vehicle by which you get them. So if you can keep the particles away, you know, and if you wear glasses, it's actually good. It helps. But um, the main thing is to keep the output from coming out. And so, the, so you use things like spray, um, uh, Clorox wipes to wipe surfaces, and and just keep mindful and do it in a sensible way. You know, it's a common sense thing. When you're outside, remember that's a totally different thing. You can be much more. Um, you don't have to wear a mask if you're standing for, not not right on top of the person and you're not spitting at them. You know, talk in a way that maybe a little bit off to the right or something. So you and just be careful not to go like you, like we do sometimes. You know, you don't want to do something. Speech is the way the particle comes out most of the time. If you're singing. Don't sing in a circle. Sing straight forward so that, the, so that the, the projection will not be right into somebody's face. Basic things of those principles. And, you know, treat the masks in the way that I've said, that they collect stuff. And um, remember, they have to be handled in that way. And again, one of the biggest things to remember that nobody ever says you have to get really pushed into our minds. This helps other people more than it helps us. It's for other people. Your friends all wearing this protects you. You walk into a place without a mask on, everybody else is protected, protecting you, and you're not protecting them. So um, we, we keep a few of those principles in mind. That's kind of a short summary of them. Then you can you can um, remember the uh, you know and, and start learning how to think in that principled way and applying it. Make it practical because you live your life. You still do stuff. You just do it in this thoughtful way. Well, Dr. Z, that was really great. Thank you so much for talking to us and teaching us about coronavirus. Uh, it's, you know, these first principles you've highlighted of coronavirus, I think, are really important for us to keep in mind as we go forward here, thinking about the disease, acting in contaminated areas for our own good, the good of our neighbors. Um, so I just wanted to say thanks so much for teaching us about all this stuff. This podcast is a great thing. You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, so much to say here. So I hope it, I hope it did, I did do, do get those things across. Well, thank you for saying that, Ethan. It was it was good being with you and good you know, having this conversation. So, and we'll see you next time when I think we're going to talk about America. All right, Dr. Rizzi. See you next time. All right. Bye-bye. And thank you for joining us. As they just mentioned, there are all kinds of resources at our website, iapweb.org. You can get Dr. Rizzi's Kids Introduction to Physics and Beyond that gives the essential foundation that you need for all your thinking at the iapweb.org site shown. Also, you will need Dr. Rizzi's The Science Before Science, which goes beyond the kids' book and explains the basics of life. It is available as an audiobook. Also, get the audiobook of A Kid's Introduction to Physics on that same page. Articles that address issues like you just heard in the podcast are available at the Physics and Culture magazine at iapweb.org magazine. All this information is available in the description below this video. The IAP's Next Conversations to Understand a World podcast is surprising. It's on America. Dr. Rizzi will teach us what no one has about our country. And 
He will explain why we have been on such a downward slope, especially in the last months, with the profound disruption of even public order, where many no longer feel safe in their own homes. But there is a reason for hope. Join us next time to learn about it all. And beyond that, there is something special coming at the beginning of next year. A groundbreaking five-part series, Decision for Truth. Watch with your family and friends. You will learn to live fully and how to avoid the negativity and banality of our culture that is continually sapping meaning and hope from our lives. Learn how to help yourself, your family, and your friends be truly happy. Don't miss Decision for Truth. Check back here for the release date and sign up to be in the loop on the latest happenings at the Institute for Advanced Physics. Go to iapweb.org signup. Thank you.